Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome to another hour dedicated to a fresh inquiry exploring exactly what enlightenment means and what it just might be to be truly enlightened. Indeed, an hour devoted to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of our ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour for those willing to risk their foregone conclusions and perhaps discover an entirely new dimension in their thoughts and being. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of respecting the very important role you have in making this show successful. Last week, our guest was Tony Samara, and we spoke about enlightenment. And we focused on his book, Beyond Words. Richard from our chat room wrote, quote, Our language is quite nice, and any idea can be communicated given the right effort. Hard to communicate is a free gimme, a minimization of the fact he's going in tautological circles. Martin Heidegger did this with existentialism. Richard continues, I listen to Eldon because he pushes for reason and rationalism in exploring consciousness. I don't listen to most of Hay House because of the non-rational accepting anything that feels good mentality. Spiritual people seem to be afraid to ask the hard questions and make solid conclusions. This, I think, is an acquiescence of our full intellectual capacity. Mary Ellen wrote, Hello, Eldon. Thanks for your radio show. I listen to the archives every week. Maybe I'm projecting, but I had a strong reaction to Tony. I agree that we struggle when we are growing spiritually. However, Tony uses a lot of words, too many. Struggle is simply part of the process. How can we call it natural or not natural? I don't think of myself as enlightened, but I do think of myself as on a journey. I value Tony's journey, but I'm not personally attracted to him or his work as I am to others. I'll be listening, Eldon. I'm also enjoying Quantum Younging, which I heard about on your radio show a couple of weeks ago. Thanks for the good work on behalf of the planet. Now, Evelyn wrote, thanks, Eldon, for another great show. And Devorah wrote, I really, really enjoyed this interview with Tony Samara. Whenever I have the opportunity to hear him speak, I always come away with newfound wisdom and a feeling of profound serenity. There is no one like Tony Samara. Thank you so much for this opportunity to hear him on your show. It really made my day. In fact, it made my week. All right. Well, obviously, last week's show was interpreted differently by our audience, and I find that interesting. Moving along. Susan wrote, Your books are of great inspiration, so is your radio show. Thank you, Susan. Wendy wrote, I'm a dedicated fan of your weekly Hay House radio show. In fact, I wrote to you some time ago about doing a show on solfeggio tones and was quite impressed when you followed up so promptly. There's nothing better I enjoy than tuning in to you and Ravinder every week. Now, that's very nice. What do you think of that, Rav? I like it. Makes me feel good. Okay. <laughs> Natalie wrote, we like you to feel good. Natalie wrote, thank you, Eldon. You have given me many hours of wonderful conversation and fascinating information when I really needed it via your Hay House radio show. 
Nicholson wrote, thank you for the free InterTalk MP3s. I'm excited to discover how InterTalk can help me to transform my life. Well, you're more than welcome. And for all of you, if you've not yet employed InterTalk, to crystallize your thinking and empower your ambitions and do so today, we have a number of InterTalk MP3 programs that are yours for the downloading. Just go to InterTalk, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com, and begin augmenting that hidden power within today. Wade wrote, after comparing and researching your product with other similar products, I have concluded that your reprogramming tools provide the best combination of metal reprogramming technology. I am writing to thank you for offering free samples to listen to. May I have a catalog sent to my home so I can show my wife exactly what I would like to spend money on? She is the Treasury Department. (laughs) Well, Wade, I relate to that. (laughs) The catalog is on its way. And if any of you would like our free full catalog of some 300 products, you can download it from intertalk.com or call my offices. We'll be happy to send you one. You'll find the toll-free number on the main page of my site. Now, Angel wrote, I received your package on Monday. My 14-year-old daughter and I have been listening to the first two CDs at bedtime on repeat, and I have felt so much better about myself, and she has stopped grinding her teeth at night. It had gotten so bad that she broke a tooth last month. Thank you for your kindness and consideration for a stranger to whom you had no reason to reach out to. It meant more to me than you will ever know that someone cared. Well, you are more than welcome, Angel. Thank you for the new warm fuzzy. You know, I posted on my Facebook page this last week a new study that revealed how important it is to feel a sense of belonging. Indeed, the study showed that being ignored causes stress and that a smile or an eye exchange, even from a stranger, can relieve this. So today, I challenge all of you to give a stranger a smile. Give it to them for free. Don't try and charge them for it like my wife does. Just look in their eyes and smile. It can really be that simple. And you know what else? You'll find it makes you feel better as well. You do charge them still, don't you, for your (laughs) sin? T.H. wrote, I have a library of your tapes and CDs. Words are too small to describe how much my life has improved since listening to them. I've used them for years and for many debilitating problems and for general improvement as well. There is no way I could choose one or two as favorites. Well, maybe the one I have gotten the most from is Ending Self-Destructive Patterns. As soon as I say that, many other titles come to mind. I have worn out more than one tape player and a CD player as well. I can't imagine life without this powerful help. Thank you is too small to express my gratitude. Well, TH, you just did, and you did very well, and thank you for another warm fuzzy. Eileen wrote, thank you for the wonderful work that you do. I truly love Hay House Radio, and your show might just be my absolute favorite as it combines spirituality and science and an always-needed twinge of skepticism, or at the very least, the opportunity to just observe listen, and then form our own opinions and beliefs. Now, I love that, Eileen, but, I mean, we'll have to work harder to make it for sure your very best show. But that's exactly how I would have it. Always take responsibility for what you think and believe. Don't buy anything, hook, line, and sinker. 
All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters, and obviously, I mean, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. So once again, thank you. Now to today's show, The Skeptical Psychic. I must tell you, that when it comes to psychic this and that, I am among the skeptics. Now, I use that term in the true sense of the word. An adherent of a school of skepticism is one who instinctively or habitually doubts or questions assertions and or some generally accepted conclusions. Okay. Now, with that said, I do not question psychic abilities per se. My experience has taught me better than that. Indeed, I am convinced that they are real and possible. But like gurus in India waiting for some unsuspecting Westerner to empty their pockets in order to gain wisdom, there is one on every corner nowadays, and much of what they have to say or share is either just generalities or pure, unmitigated rubbish. So it is with caution that I approach the world of psychics. The real problem for me is that there are well-meaning people that simply do harm in the name of psychic this and that, as well as a variety of psychic scams waiting to ambush the unsuspecting and often gullible believer. Now, opponents of psychic abilities are not short on examples of renowned psychics providing advice and or forecasts that are simply false. There are even more examples of frauds perpetuated apparently for monetary gain. People like James Randi, Michael Shermer, Richard Dawkins, and the like often take psychics apart, or they pretend to be psychics themselves and demonstrate how cold reading and simple psychology works to make you think they are truly psychic, gaining information about you that you simply cannot believe they could know unless they were the real deal. However, once again, as William James was quick to point out, some things cannot be explained without parapsychological events as being independently real. Enter today's guest, an attorney who believes we all have the capability of tuning in to the supernatural once we unlearn our logical processes, and learn to trust the profoundly irrational processes of our mind. Our guest today is Nancy Dutertra. Nancy is an attorney who formerly specialized in securities litigation and who became a trained psychic detective, spiritual medium, medical intuitive, and paranormal investigator. A magna cum laude graduate of Princeton University, an honors graduate and published member of the Law Review of Pace Law School. Nancy is also host to her own radio show called Hot Leads, Cold Cases on Para-X and CBS radios. Nancy works with law enforcement and victims' families on missing persons and homicide cases. She is the author of Psychic Intuition, and we'll be discussing that, and she co-wrote Behind Criminal Minds, the memoirs of a New York City homicide detective. So let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Nancy Dutetra. 
Oh, well, thank you very much for that lovely intro. Thank you, Eldon. Well, you're indeed deserving of that. But let's begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you, a magna cum laude graduate of Princeton, an attorney in the world of, of high finance, to that of psychic phenomena. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, well, obviously, if that that was the direction I was going in and did go in, and it's pretty darn hard to make a detour. Uh, that's a very sharp detour to make. Um, in when I was growing up, I was not psychic like most psychics will tell you. You know, they started out when they were five years old and they saw a ghost and they could read the future and that kind of thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, I come from a very skeptical family. To them, um, psychiatrists were quacks. You know, they had no need for, you know, that kind of hocus-pocus. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, so that, that's how I was brought up. Um, I had a couple of odd experiences in my life, I, and I, I really do believe most people get them, um, but I didn't know how to explain them, and I didn't know where to put them, and I, there was nothing really to talk about. They were just weird. So I shelved them. I put them away. Um, and the way that I got into this, uh, and by the way, my background is not just as an attorney. I also ran several businesses. I had a, a newspaper specialized in the healthcare industry. I ran a 242-bed uh, nursing home. Uh, I uh, own, or I'm a part owner of a, um, a porcelain factory in Limoges. I ran the U.S. operations of that. Um, so I've done a whole bunch of, you know, like all over the board kinds of things. Um, but I started to write a book on intuition. I thought it was going to be a book about psychology, and it uh, didn't turn out that way at all. But through no fault of my own, I really went down the nice traditional skeptical path. And what I found was that psychologists were completely disinterested in anything having to do with intuition because either they didn't believe it was controllable uh, and therefore they couldn't explain it, uh, or it, it just, you know, that degree of intuition just didn't exist at all. They would sometimes describe it as, as things like uh, empathy or resonant empathy or transference or counter-transference, or, you know, through those kinds of traditional things, but they didn't really talk about what it was. So then I started uh, studying you know, people in the neuroscientific field. I thought, you know, if psychologists aren't going to do it, let me go there. And they went running further for the hills. They just, you know, anything subjective, they just had no interest in because you can't confine it and you can't quantify it. And that's really what gives them their measure of success for themselves. So after that, uh, having nowhere really to go in the traditional realms to figure out what the heck this really was, I went all over the place. And that's when I started to meet uh, a lot of people in the in these really crazy fields. I mean, they were crazy to me anyway. You know, psychics and mediums and intuitives and uh, a lot of people in the government, um, a lot of people, just everybody. And I started putting together my own theory. And then I figured, well, I've got to train myself. I can't just learn this like an academic thing. I have to do it in order to, so I can really explain to people what this is. And that's when I became apprentice to a well-known psychic detective as well as uh, 
with some mediums and some uh, medical intuitives. And that's how I got into it. And then I discovered, oh, I have this kind of weird skill. I denied it for a long time. I challenged it all the time uh, until I finally said, well, I think I would have to be actually stupid if I didn't accept that some of this is actually happening and, and valuable. Okay, now you miss some, you know, some of those folks that do really take a good hard look at it, like Professor Stanley Krippner. We've had several of them in here. But if I understand you, you're saying two things. One, you trained, you learned psychic ability. And two, from your book, that it's that, that we all can do that. But before we get into that, this is provocative enlightenment. You heard the setup piece. Tell us, Nancy. As an attorney, how does the unsuspecting, trusting person separate the so-called cold reading, the fraud, from the real deal? Or do you even suggest that they use a psychic as opposed to, say, develop their own psychic capacity? Okay, that's a bunch of different questions. I'm going to suggest something (laughs) that probably most people don't suggest. Usually, with the skeptics get all excited about the fact, well, you know, we can replicate this in a, in a cold reading. This is the use of psychology and, and that kind of thing. Um, I don't separate out psychic ability from the rest of the brain. It's all integrated. So psychic ability is not so, it's about the process. So I may, I, I can't turn off information that I have. I cannot turn off subliminal influence. I can't turn off any of that stuff. Um, all right. I can try to do is to isolate the type of process that I'm using when I get something which I'm calling uh, psychic. But a lot of times it's going to be, I'm going to have threads of other bits of information, you know, coming from perfectly normal or natural ways, coming into that kind of psychic uh, impression. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. If you want me to do pure, pure, pure psychic work, um, I can do that. But then again, it's going to have to get processed through my own brain in order to get an interpretation on it. Sometimes the interpretations See, are right and sometimes they're wrong. Now, I, I love your answer, Nancy, because what you would say to a Ray Hyman, Professor Hyman, uh, who often mimics psychics to demonstrate to his classes at the University of Oregon that there is nothing to the so-called psychic. It's all cold reading. It's all psychology. What you would say to him is that, yes, you incorporate that as a part of the general information necessary in order to obtain any psychic input as opposed to uh, either or. Have I got that right? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes you can access psychic information based on zero, truly zero uh, background information. Um, and that's, it's doable. And that's what's so strange and unusual. The problem is that you've got the kinds of people you're talking about, the char- charlatans and the frauds and the wannabes, that go out there and say, oh, I can do that. Well, n- no, no, not all the time. And that doesn't always work. And a lot of time you are incorporating information that you have and, and you're kind of taking a little bit of a, a quantum leap using that information. But not now, all the time. to make allowances, there are also, uh, or correct me if I'm wrong, there are also well-meaning people 
who indeed believe that because they've been right on a couple of occasions, they have these abilities that may tell someone something that can be harmful. Absolutely. And, you know, I I tell people a story uh, about a friend of mine. Um, She had a very young son, and he died. He died in a swimming pool. I think he got sucked into the vacuum or something. It was a terrible story. Took her sort of years to recover. She eventually uh, had another son. A friend of hers said, "Oh, you know, there's this great medium who's coming into the city. You have to go hear her. She's so accurate. She's so good, and she only charges, I forget, X number of hundreds of dollars." My friend said, "No, no, thank you very much." And they heard the friend insisted. Finally, she goes, and the uh, medium looks at her, and she says, oh, you know, I I see a young boy near you, and she describes him accurately. I think maybe she got the initial and his name right. And she said, oh, and and you have another son now living? And she said, yes. Oh, he's going to to die in a, uh, a car crash at the age of 18. And my friend flipped out. It was such an, let's suppose, because she'd already built her credibility. Let's suppose she was even right about this. And by the way, everybody has free will and things do change. And any psychic information is only a snapshot. It's not the the absolute ultimate reality of anything. It's simply a snapshot of a trend. So even if she was right, she never ever should have revealed that information. It was completely irresponsible. Yeah, you know, you're the attorney. It seems to me that there ought to be some way to, to, uh, what sue? I, I'm not a sue happy person, but okay. Listen, I have got. I loved your book. Thank you. Uh, you know that I've written a, a, an endorsement for your book. I have some forty odd questions for you, and if you give me thirty second answers, I can't get them all into this program. <laughs> and I have promised the callers that, you know, I, I promised our listeners that we will take some of their calls during the show. So, <clears throat> let's do this in about thirty seconds before we have a hard break. You bill yourself as skeptical. What do you mean by that? I mean the same thing. I think that you mean, which is a very healthy definition of what skeptical is that just means you challenge all the time you don't simply accept because you think it is or because it's what you've always known and that would go for whoever you were doing a reading with as well is that not true absolutely and i'm constantly skeptical of myself and my own abilities all the time i love it We've got a hard break. When we come back, we'll pick it up. The book is Psychic Intuition. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. We're talking with Nancy Dutertre. And when we come back, we'll ask her to take a few phone calls. Now, if you're not already in our chat room, this is a great time to join in and see the video. We'll be right back after these words from our friends. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. 
Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Intertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing the book Psychic Intuition with author Nancy Dutetra. Uh, but before we get back to the show, I want to invite you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan of the show, you will receive special announcements and incentives from time to time, as well as advance notice on show programming and comments on past shows. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter. And if you like our show, please do spread the word. We genuinely appreciate your support. Hey, House likes provocative now, and I'll tell you, I've got a special announcement, you know, and, and it's one of the, those exciting events that happens in your lifetime. The station manager of Hay House Radio is actually producing this show, Kyle Thompson. And Kyle and his wife, Kate, have a brand new baby, their son, Jasper. Congratulations, Kyle. It, I, it, it's an experience that you will just be thrilled to participate in. All right. Well, Kyle's not going to say anything to us, but, you know, our best go out to Kyle. All right. Let's get back to the show. Before the break, I promised that we would take some phone calls. But, but first, Nancy, we had just uh, decided that if you're getting a reading from the psychic, you should go away a little bit skeptical of that reading. You, you know, not just accept it hook, line, and sinker. We agree on that, right? Absolutely. Now, when you give someone a reading, you actually explain to them that this is what you see, but it is not hard and fast. Is that correct? All the time. It, for, for every reading I do, I, I really want to make sure they understand that. Okay. Now, you, you have a, a chapter in your book uh, that's all about balancing skepticism and intuition. How, I mean... What is that balance point? How do you find that balance point? I think that's important for everybody to know. It's extremely difficult because the problem is if you're too skeptical, what it does is it kills off that. Um, it's something that's like creativity. It's a little different, but it kills off that psychic ability. Uh, you need to be, you need to walk into your own soul, so to speak, 100% trusting 
when you do this kind of work. And so if, you walk, if you're too um, distrusting or you dismiss or discount what you're experiencing, you'll actually um, get rid of your own ability. And eventually, for many people, um, it becomes literally invisible. It just disappears because you don't see it anymore. Okay, in, in your book, and, and I think this gives great insight both to you and to how you balance these two, you have a story of the richest man on earth. Why have you included that in the book? You flesh that story out for us. That was the, I had first uh, moved to New York right after I graduated from college, and I, I was working three jobs at the time. One of them was a job for a former op-ed writer for the Wall Street Journal. And so what I would do is I would spend all my weekends researching uh, information on diamonds for his, um, his new book that he was writing. And I began reading about the history of South Africa and the, and the Kimberley Diamond Mines, which became the De Beers Diamond Mines. And I discovered that there were really just, there were two main, two guys in South Africa who, who actually became phenomenally wealthy. One was uh, Cecil Rhodes, and they named Rhodesia after him. And the other guy was uh, this uh, guy from uh, London. His name was Barney Barnado, who was a vaudeville juggler, bar bouncer type of guy. And he goes off to South Africa, hits it really big, um, and eventually becomes, when he sells out, sells out to Cecil Rhodes, becomes literally the richest man in the world. And I was reading about him, and I just got stuck on five little facts about him. Um, and, I mean, for example, one of them was, his name was Barney Barnado, okay, a double name. He came from a family, there was a Joel Joel, there was an Isaac Isaac, there were all these double names. Uh, another thing, he was in vaudeville, another thing, uh, he came from London, his family was Jewish. Uh, uh, I think, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember if that's five or not, but anyway, I, they just got stuck in my head, and... I started relating them to my own family, and I didn't know much about my own family. Um, I knew that on my father's side, they uh, they were Jewish. They never talked about it. Um, they came from London, at least my grandfather did. He came from a big family. They I knew that there was a, a famous vaudeville actress way back somewhere, a great aunt or something, um, and his name was Lester Lester, a double name. Based on those little, like, nothing information, I go to my grandfather and say, you wouldn't happen to have ever heard of this guy named Barney Barnato. And he said, sure, that was my uncle. Mm -hmm. Now, my father didn't know this, so he couldn't have conveyed that to me. Nobody knew this. I just okay. got it. So that, that, to me, is a, that's one of those, those strange places where, you know, influences, normal brain influences and information and logical empirical data can come in, and yet you make this weird leap into something that shouldn't logically make any sense. And it does. If people who, who get intuition find that they're suddenly on what I call this superhighway of information, you go faster than the, the speed of light in terms of information if you can hop on. But you have to trust it. 
that I, I found that to be, you know, a compelling piece of evidence. It's a great story. It's in, and, and you, you shortened that story quite a bit. Everybody needs to read the full thing. But I, now, once again, you're on provocative enlightenment. And, and as I say, we get kind of provocative here. So I must tell you, some of the material you refresh when you share your initial research into the world of psychic, I found, forgive me, but irrelevant to even misleading or ill-founded. Take, for example, your reference to Emoto's work uh, with water and human emotions. I, I would like to believe his work was valid, but the scientific community dismisses it out of hand, and, and for good reasons. Indeed, this is one of Ravinder's pet peeves, for she, as a trained microbiologist, finds his work uh, to be forced. Uh, do you want to add anything to that quickly, Rav? Quickly, I could go on for a long time about that one. I would be very politically incorrect. But it doesn't take a degree in microbiology to see it. It takes just high school science. You understand what science is. You replicate. You can't pick and choose your results if they occur at all. But a quick search on the Internet will show you how ice crystals form, the tiny temperature degree that will affect the kinds of crystals that you have, the fact that there are places in the world where you don't get good ice crystals anyway. Um, no, there's a whole bunch of work out there. But as so, I said, it So takes... even Dean Radin's replication, which he claims is a replication, but it, shows you is, is I really not Dean a replication. I did a good job, but the, his best pictures were nothing like what Emoto says. Okay, so, so no, I'm very suspect. Okay, so my question is... Uh, to you, Nancy, how important was it, or is it, if it remains so, to have had the likes of Geller and Emoto, etc., to lean on for your own psychic development? I'm sorry, how, how important is it to lean on them? How important was it for you as, as, as you were developing confidence in, in psychic abilities as being credible? How important was it for you to uh, have seen Geller bend a spoon, uh, to rely on Emoto's uh, uh, influence of uh, intention on water? How important was that to you? Okay, so first of all, the first thing I'm going to do is just clarify. In terms of the moto, I think his work is fascinating. I actually tried replicating it with my kids um, because I had read that, that there were some Japanese kindergarten students uh, who did mm -hmm. a test with using rice, not water. And I mean, they put a bunch of rice, cooked rice, into two jars. One was a good jar, one was a bad jar. And they, they would say nice things to the good jar and bad things to the bad one. And apparently right. the bad uh, jar had rotted rice a lot quicker. I tried that. It didn't particularly work out, but then I thought maybe my kids, because I knew they had started to mix up the jars, so that wasn't a pure experiment. Uh, he only showed up on one page in my book, and it wasn't as a, I wasn't relying on him as a reference. I was using him to show the, uh, the, the spectrum of all the different people that I was looking into. I do, I, had, I already knew that uh, people have had a lot of trouble replicating his experiments. I knew that. I think that they, they have had a couple of successes, but it, it hasn't been widespread. I don't know why, but it absolutely raises an interesting issue. And, uh, you know, if you look at some of the experiments that uh, Cleve Baxter did, um, and you in, in lie detection probably would know that better than, yeah, than most. Yeah, with the plants, um, uh huh? Yeah, well, you know, plants react to things that we are convinced that they absolutely cannot react to. 
I tried Correct. that. Uh, I had gone off to our, we had a house out on Long Island. I forgot about a plant that somebody had just given to me. I left it uh, at this house in New Jersey and left it there for three weeks or four weeks and was it obviously didn't get any water. And I thought, oh, no. I thought, let me try an experiment. Let me see if I can set a nice, loving thought wave. And I, of course, at the time, thought that was completely ridiculous. Because uh-huh. we all know that can't do anything, right? Well, right. when I came back, inexplicably, that plant was doing great. And it, yeah. it was a I, type of a mint plant that needs a lot of water. I, I have philodendrons in my offices, and everyone will tell you that they grow wildly. I happen to love those plants. That's what Cleve worked with. And, 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 I, and I concur with the plant. Uh, but, but my question went more to the core of often... If we gain the confidence that something can be done, then we seem to be able to gain the ability that it can be done. But let's leave that for now. I, I know Ingo Swan. Indeed, he's quoted me in, uh, in his book, The Nostradamus Factor. Uh, and, and you've interviewed him. And I've shared much of his work and my own work. So please tell our audience about Swan and the world of psychic spies that you spend some time with in your book. I, uh, well, I think Ingo is terrific. I, I know him a little bit. I actually just saw him, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. Um, he's just one of the most interesting people that I've ever met. Um, he's very mysterious. Uh, he created this whole concept of remote viewing. He's sort of seen as the, the, uh, the father of remote viewing, I guess. Uh, he did it for the Stanford Research Institute for the CIA, developed the program, Department of Defense, and all that. Um, right. And he took his own abilities and only used them for purposes of science. He never did, you know, readings for people. Uh, if you tell him, you know, or you ask him if he's a psychic, he'll tell you absolutely not. Uh, he doesn't even like the term. He gets very, very particular, you know, how, how you define words. And it's too much of a catch-all. Um, but I, I, have, I mean, I'm just a tremendous admirer of his. I think what he's accomplished in being able to at least put a, a, a system into uh, this kind of work and then present it to uh, the government in a way that they could see that it had some utility. I mean, that was just a, a huge milestone. In, in this field it, it was and indeed as far as i'm concerned it, it definitely is the proverbial nail in the coffin for the doubters of whether or not psychic ability is is possible uh, okay now i've got like i said i've got a lot of questions we've got questions coming out of the chat room and we have got callers on the on the phone and i promised that we would go to that so uh, let me just ask you a couple of quickies out of the chat room in deference to our wonderful chat room people. Mod Girl says, how did Nancy become a psychic detective? The answer is I, be- I became apprenticed to another psychic detective. So I began to uh, actually work on cases while, you know, sort of working under her, her teaching. So that's how I did that. And and can you give us an example of how you actually used that tool? A real life case, Nancy. Sure. 
Sure. I mean, it, it usually has to do with missing persons, and I would say most of the missing persons are usually uh, dead. So it boils down to trying to usually find a body and get enough information about a suspect that you can help the police with it. Um, and for starters, you need uh, police that are, are willing to take you seriously for anything that you come up with. And I can, I mean, just to give you a, a real quick example, I mean, there have been sure. now a, a couple of cases, and obviously, I mean, I can't go into detail on them because uh, usually they stay open. And um, I don't like... And are they part of a criminal investigation? I understand yeah, that. So go ahead. So I'm not uh-huh. talking about it, but I, I will tell you that um, in a couple of cases, I came up at the only, ge- geographically, the exact location that I, in my mind, felt that a body would be located. And that uh, came up to be the only place where police had actually investigated and these are in locations I, I had never visited. I didn't know where, what the terrain looked like. I didn't know anything about them. Of course, in a missing persons case, you don't have, you, maybe they'll give you a police flyer. That's all, or maybe they'll give you a name. That's the only information you're working with. So this is a scenario that you develop in your, in your brain. It feels like your imagination. And that's why most people dismiss it and throw it away. Say, nah, that was just my imagination. It, there's actually valuable uh, insight that gets into your brain that way. Kind of hard for uh, someone to call that a cold reading, isn't it? <laughs> let, let me go to the next question, okay? Uh, can someone tell me what the difference is between psychic and intuitive? Out of our chat room again. Yeah, a lot of people um, say that there's a difference. And, and the way that I describe this actually in my book, Psychic Intuition, is that intuition for me is like one big sliding scale. And on the conservative end, you have educated guesses, and most people can kind of deal with that, even scientists and skeptics, they're okay with that. Uh, in the middle, you have things like um, gut feelings or hunches. It's sort of an emotional or a quasi-emotional kind of a feeling uh, that you know, uh, that gives you information about something. And then on the, the real far end, you have psychic, uh, pure psychic ability. But you, if you adjust uh, the amount of information that you have at your disposal and you adjust your conscious awareness, you'll come up anywhere on that sliding scale. So for me, they're both the same thing. They're just at different ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, one of these days I'm going to have a two-hour show. And I'm going to spend the first hour hogging it, just asking all the questions. And then the next hour, I'll, I'll take phone calls. But in deference to our callers, we have to jump to the phone lines. I'm going to ask the callers to please, you know, make your questions succinct and brief. And Nancy, as much as you can, your answers. And we'll see how many we can get in in the next few minutes. Let's go to line one. We have uh, Susanna from St. Louis. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Susanna. Hello, Eldon, and hello, Nancy. It's my pleasure to be um, on this phone line with you, and I enjoyed your show so far. Well, we hope you enjoy it all the way, but what is your question? Um, Yes, um, my question is for Nancy. um, Like, right now, I really would probably have to follow intuition quite a bit. I just have uh, um, was working quite hard for the last few years to get into a certain uh, academic uh, 
programming, some master's field, and uh, I did not succeed to get in, and I uh, currently um, don't have any desire to try again, and uh, have I'm completely doubting myself at this point that I am fit to do anything like it, and um, and I'm completely feel like I'm lost in um, in the sense of where I need to go, what I need to be, and what is my purpose. So this kind of failure of not getting in has completely shaken me up in what what I want to do um, uh, as far as uh, my career and service to the world. So how one deals with that it, when, as far as to intuition and as far as what do you need to listen? Your heart, you know, your heart, your feelings that are hurt, I mean, or your, you know, your head telling you, oh, maybe you should work harder. So, Nancy? My sense is that you uh, took the rejection as a statement about your ability or the statement about your future. And I don't think it's any of the above. I think that if you simply go back to the original place of your own passion, and maybe your passion wasn't being really adequately reflected in, in your work. Maybe that's what happened. Or somehow your skills aren't enough to, to get your passion out there. But if that is your passion, I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go running off quickly to some other place. I'd stick with it. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for calling, Susanna. Let's go to line two. And we have Nina from California. Uh, Nina, welcome to Provocative Enlightenment. Thank you. I'll be brief. I have two minutes. I'm aware of it because I listen to your show every week. Thank you, Eldon, for your work. And nice to meet you, Nancy. Nice and quick question for everybody who probably wondering about this question. Um, two tips on developing psychic ability on your own, kind of that we can do it every day or something we can tap into uh, practicing. Tips of things that you can do? Uh, Okay, I'm going to say, I mean, these are going to sound so simple, it's ridiculous, but when you walk from one room into another room, uh, make yourself aware of the change in the atmosphere. What is it, what's the difference, ask yourself, what's the difference from this room into this room? And what you're going to be doing is tuning yourself and, and forcing yourself to ask yourself questions because that's what this is all about. You don't get the answers unless you ask the question. Thank you. Okay, Nina, thank you. Uh, you know, this is a question that's asked a lot, and I'm going to bounce this one out of the chat room, and we'll jump back to the phone again. But uh, every time we have somebody on with uh, psychic ability, we get the question that Chelsea is asking out of the chat room. Do you think it's ethical to charge people for sharing your psychic ability? I fought with myself on that one for years, um, and the con- I think everybody's got to come up with their own answer. Um, I still, something just gives me the heebie-jeebies when people charge a lot of money for this kind of work, because it is a it's a service. Um, I I do I finally decided. Well, I've trained for you know over a decade in this field. Um, I've spent a lot of my own money to try and make myself better. I'm trained in several other fields, which actually uh, work together uh, with this. So, yes, I'm entitled to uh, charge something. It is my time, and it is my expertise, but I don't charge a lot. 
Okay, so let's try and get one more quick call in. Let's go to Gail in North Carolina. Gail, you're on the air. What's your question, please? Hi, Eldon. Thank you so much for everything you do. I love your show. And thank you, oh, Nancy, thank you. for this little mini reading for me. Um, my question was, do you see how my income will be increasing? Tell me your name again. Gail. How your income will be increasing. <laughs> well, I can uh, look immediately, and obviously I don't have the time to go into a lot of things. 30 seconds. The image that I get immediately on you is a spiral, which means that, uh, and it's it's funnel-shaped uh, increasing. It's not a direct route. It's not A to B. It mm-hmm. is in almost a circular type of emotion. Okay. All right. Well, we're out of time. Tell us this very quickly, Nancy. How can our listening audience reach you? Uh, very easy. They can get a hold of me uh, by going to my website, which is theskepticalpsychic.com. Great. Okay. The book is Psychic Intuition. And I'm afraid we've come to another end of the hour for provocative enlightenment. And I want to thank you all for joining us. And I do hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And if you have comments on our show, do let us all know. Okay, remember the book, Psychic Intuition. And until we join you again, believing in yourself always matters is the most important thing.